This is Restless. Welcome back to the Restless Podcast, a post-mortem on the young, restless, and reformed. I am your host, Matt, joined by Pastor Michael. And when, Michael, at first you don't succeed, you try, try again. I was going to say, this feels a little bit like deja vu. We're going back in. We're doing it again. It's Groundhog's Day. It's, uh, it is. We're doing it all over again. Here we go, everybody. And if this episode, for some reason, is unable to be released, I think we're going to just have to throw the second Peter series in the can. <laughs> we do. We would just have to assume God does not want us to do this anymore. We're going to, he thinks we're going to do such a bad job. We should just not broadcast it ever. <laughs> and that would be okay. Yep. We will find out. We will find out here. And you'll find out with us. That's right. Or you if will never find this, out, right? I mean, if, if this doesn't come out, you will never find out about it. And there will not be an episode this week because we will, there is nothing for me to <laughs> pull out of nowhere this time. So we are excited because there are two things we want to finish this year as restless summer comes to an end. There are two things we'd like to finish. We would like to finish going through the list of Christian characteristics in second Peter that we started a long time ago, and we are going to finish the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast. It doesn't seem like a very daunting task given there are like three episodes left, except that the last two episodes are two and a half hours a piece. <laughs> They are longer than you think. Longer they, than you think. If, if your podcast is Lord of the Rings level lengths, there is you need to be able to justify it as I'm listening. So hey, we've um, done one of these, out. right? We did a we did a hundred and what 150 minutes. That's it's gotta right. be our longest. Yeah. And that was totally, that length was totally justified and totally worth it for everyone. Um, Just so everybody knows, when we did it, it was a good idea. Yeah, it was. We did it. We did a great job and there was really no criticisms for that episode. So, <laughs> um, but tonight we're doing something actually that when we first had this conversation and it wasn't recorded, it was really edifying and enjoyable. And so we hope we can bring some of that back, though I can't promise, despite our best efforts to do as good a job as we did the first time. Yeah, I, so, I, I was tired. I was tired when we recorded the last one, but this time I have been sick all day. I have a head cold and I feel slightly fevery. So um, the chances of this going better than before isn't it doesn't look great. It does not look great, but maybe maybe we'll make it. So only we are only here because of the virtue of Pastor Michael, which is what we are talking about tonight. So if you remember, we laid out in our first episode a section of Second Peter chapter 1 describing what Peter, the apostle, was commanding Christians to do to keep them from becoming unfruitful and ineffective in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which is what we said most of us are seeing happen on a grand level in Big Eva or whatever you want to call it. And Peter did not say that we should spend our time sniping at them on the internet. Not that we're against that all the time, but that he, he gave a list of ways we should be growing. Sometimes it's called the staircase of Christian character characteristics that we should be growing in 
to prevent us from doing that. And so we wanted to take time and think about that together. And so uh, I'll read the verses up to the up to the first characteristic we're at, and we will go from there. So he says, for this very reason, make every effort to supp- supplement your faith with virtue. Now, again, we've discovered faith, and we're saying faith is not one of the virtues he's saying that you should add to your Christian life, because you don't have a Christian life without faith. And that is a, such an important an important thing for us to start with and explain. So Pastor Michael, do you remember why we said it is just so important that when we think about growing in Christian virtues, growing in Christian character, we say that faith is the essential and starting the starting foundation? Yeah, I mean, as you said, it's a foundation. Um, it is the the soil from which all these other things grow. Um, it's It's what is necessary to even begin. Um, so when we're talking about virtue, we'll get into this a little bit more, but so much of what we talk about here is, is reflecting back what is already true of God, right? These characteristics mm. are things that, that we grow in, but God is. And so if we're going to uh, be reflecting something of God, we can't do that apart from faith. We can't do that apart from that baseline trusting in him. That's right. And, and again, this is the importance of, and I'm going to read the verse he, Pastor Michael, just referenced that will help us get a better handle on this. But this is, again, what prevents us from just doing Christian self-help, is we are talking about a spiritual exercise. We're not talking about just doing better, working on yourself, right? Um, it's, it's different than that. And so it's very interesting, this word virtue. Actually, it is pretty rare overall in the New Testament. And what's interesting about that is in the time of when this book, uh, when the Bible was written, when Second Peter was written, this term virtue was used all over Greek literature. Uh, it's the arete. Uh, it, was, um, it was kind of viewed as the supreme good. Um, it was originally used in the terms of military exploits. And a very important thing about what virtue was is that it wasn't viewed as something that was innate. This was something that was acquired through excellence over time, right? So one brave act didn't make you virtuous. It was performing your duty honorably and with excellence over time. It was done through consistent cultivation. Um, after, as this term kind of grew in popularity, it started becoming known as um, something that could be done in, in religion or in civics, right? It wasn't refined or only used in, in military cases. Um, and it was viewed as one of, again, virtue. this is what's interesting about it, is virtue to kind of talk about all these kinds of good things you could do. But virtue was kind of one of these characteristics, And in that way, it was one of Plato's cardinal virtues. In Peter's day, it referenced primarily those who were very good at advancing the good of society, whatever that was supposed to be. And so therefore, it was primarily reserved for the nobility of their day. Um, Those are the people they could bestow great gifts on the public and their wealth. Um, They could show excellence in rhetoric, philosophy, you know, politics. Um, and 
this is the one thing we'll say about this. One of the big Christian things that would have been shocking in their day is when Peter's telling the church to grow in virtue. He's telling the poor. He's telling Gentiles. He's telling Jews uh, who would have had no status to do these things, that it is those with faith who can become virtuous, um, which is a which is, again, a, a really awesome truth that these things that the world may project that may they might be right about that might be good. It's actually those in Christ who can attain it. And so, mm-hmm. Pastor Michael, when we first mentioned virtue in our opening episode, we said we should work this year towards trying to attain virtue, not virtue signaling. What a how uh, other than that being really great branding on our part. Uh, way to go. Way to go us. <laughs> way to go us. What how how. Uh, can that help clarify what actual growth and virtue would look like and not look like for us? I think so, because what you have here then is that it's real. Um, even what you said that it's this long-term um, consistent growth. Um, it's not something that uh, just springs up instantly. And we want something that's really quick, right? We want to, we want the kind of virtue that we can get like ordering at McDonald's. Uh, like we want something that we can just quick, we tweet it out. We tweet out, Hey, I'm against bad thing and I'm for good thing. And I, you know, I change my Facebook profile picture and I make sure that everybody knows this is what I'm for. And then we want that to be good, right? We don't want to actually have to live in a way that is uh, consistently different. Uh, we don't want to have to give uh, the whole of our lives to consistently growing in virtue. And so this is why I think it's helpful to contrast the two, uh, because even if, you know, you take virtue signaling out of simply the realm of, Hey, I'm just saying something quick. I'm just making sure, you know, I'm, I'm on the good team. Um, and now I'm not going to live any different. I'm not going to change how I do things. Um, still, I think that we have that, that mentality of quick, easy fix, easy growth, I want to be better tomorrow. Um, I don't want to put in the actual hard work of becoming virtuous. Right, right. It, it, this this term, obviously, our listeners aren't people who are going to be attracted to it, but it has nothing to do with this virtue. Right, right. One, the idea of showing you're a good person. Well, that's actually not what virtue is about. Virtue is about cultivating a certain kind of character. Right. So it's not something. Oh, I get to show. It's something I have to cultivate, right? And then the big thing, and this is the thing that I think, whether or not you like to say I'm against bad thing online for all your friends, um, it's that we want an immediate thing. Like the idea that growing in prayer or growing in virtue or growing in excellence or growing in the ability to run a business takes time. I know I pretty much resent the fact that I'm not good at all of any of those things. And I, and that I think that my desire to be good at those things should make me good at those things. I don't like that. There's a gap in my spiritual life, what I want to be true and what is true or my Mm. uh, ability as a father, you know, in any of these things, my ability to do moral excellence, virtue. I don't like that. There's a gap and I just want it to be closed right now. And I actually think we have a lot of probably Christian spiritualities that probably promise 
to immediately close the gap. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and even to bring it closer to home when we're talking about virtue signaling, instead of thinking about like, you know, those other guys, um, thinking about our audience, you know, this is maybe the difference between, uh, you know, hosting online a picture of the new books that you got and actually reading them and benefiting from them, growing from them, meditating upon them, taking the truth within them and then living differently. Um, that's, you know, that's part of the difference, you know, taking a snapshot, you know, of you yeah. doing your devotional time versus you just doing your devotional time. Um, that's the, that's the difference here. Yeah. Well, I want to read, um, it's great actually. So this word, uh, arete, uh, in the Greek only appears in the new Testament four times, including the one we're looking at. And so to help us get an idea of what would have, like what people would have thought when they read this word, I want us to, uh, read these other ones. So the first one I'll read is, is from Paul. This is Philippians four, eight. He says, and I'm not sure what translation I'm reading in. I'm reading in a might be KJV or some kind of version of that. It's just a really wooden translation of the Greek. So it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, what is whatever is venerable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If there is any excellence, and that is the word virtue. So we can say if there is any virtue, if there's any praise, think on such things. So we're commanded to think on the things that have virtue and then peter interestingly is the one who uses it three times he's the he's the writer who talks about this the most um so the first one we have is in uh first peter and that is in first peter 2 9 you however are a race a chosen royal priesthood a nation holy a people for his possession so that the excellencies so that the virtues uh, you may proclaim of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So a very famous verse for what the people of God are called, right? A royal priesthood, um, a nation, a holy nation, a people for his possession. It's so that you can proclaim his virtues. And this is the other thing. And this is from the verses directly preceding the verses we just read. Uh, two verses earlier in second peter 1 3 and this is the one that i think is really important for us is he says his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence virtue so virtue is something that god has and i think that's a really important thing that the virtue we're supposed to cultivate as pastor michael mentioned is supposed to mirror the virtue we see in God, that we see in God, that we think on in God, that we can see in the world. Um, now, let me make one really important differentiation between virtue as we may attain it to whatever degree and virtue as God has it. And this is something that as I realized it, it actually, again, I'm thankful, it brought me more fear of God. And it's that God doesn't have to attain this virtue. God perfectly possesses all of this virtue in his character. There is no gap in God in his moral uh, compass and his ability to accomplish it. Those things are perfectly one. And that is not the kind of virtue we have. That is not something we, it's something we cultivate. It's something he has in perfection. And so I just think that that is a, 
it's an amazing thing about God. Yeah, it's so interesting, and you've made note of this already, is that this is the only, here in, in Second Peter, um, the passage that we're talking about right now, is the only place that virtue is used in the New Testament where it's speaking of us, something that we grow and attain are to add to our faith. That is interesting. Yeah. Every other place it is speaking of God or in the, you know, in Philippians, it's, it's maybe a little bit broader, but it's, it's, I think something that we could say is rooted still in uh, God himself. So, so you have this idea that virtue itself is, I mean, it is rooted in God himself. It comes from him. It's what we are doing is we are growing in something that he already has and is. That's right. And so I think um, as we think about virtue, it's actually, this is such a huge topic. It's very difficult to kind of, how can we pick a path to walk down, to think through virtue, think through growing in it. And so we, I just had to pick one and the path we chose, it's very interesting. So we are going to follow William Ames discussion of virtue in his marrow of theology. And there are two reasons for this. One, uh, William Ames marrow of theology was, uh, many would kind of describe it as the textbook that was used to train most of the people who wrote the Westminster Confession in theology, that it would have been one of the primary, uh, uh, reformed, uh, theological texts. And two, when I was looking for reformed sources on virtue, he has, it's one of his longest sections where he is describing virtue, where he's describing what it is, what it isn't, where it comes from, how we get it. And I just found it very interesting that in his section on the Christian life, one of the first sections and one of the longest sections he writes is on virtue. And so uh, I thought it would be a great way for us to start. So let me read a few of his uh, sentences on dis- di- how he defines virtue, which I think you'll see is very similar to what we've already been talking about. Pastor Michael, we are going to drop a link to where you can buy a hard copy of this book at, on Amazon. And the good news is, is this book is also for free on monergism if you would like to find it. So here is um, William Ames' description early on in his section on virtue. Pastor Michael, you can just react to these as I, as I share these. I'll, I'll read two and then we can keep, uh, we'll do a few more. So here are his first two sentences on it that we'll read. Virtue is a habit whereby the will is inclined to do good. And then we have five, which is virtue is called a habit, not as distinguished from a disposition, nor as it signifies a confirmed or perfect constitution of mind. For such a degree of virtue is scarcely granted to men while they live here, but generally contains a perfect and an imperfect degree. So what we have here is, I think the important thing is, what we see is it is a habit. It's a habit of the will and it's a habit towards the good. Pastor Michael, what do you think about these, any of these early thoughts from uh, William Ames? Yeah. Thinking in terms of habit is really helpful. Um, Augustine in city of God speaks of virtue and he calls it uh, both the art of living and the art of regulating life. And so you have this idea that it is, it's, it's at the core of so much else when it comes to various, you know, habits and things like that. But, uh, but as, as a core habit, it's something that you have to grow in that you can't, it's not, you're not going to have it perfectly in this life, but it's something that you're always growing in. 
That's right. And so again, the, this word habit, and we still use it this way to a degree, but in classicology, this is really important. Oftentimes they'll talk about the habit of godliness or a lot of these kinds of things they'll describe as a habit. And what they're describing is they're describing a disposition or a part of you that is not innate. It's something that has to come to you, has to be brought to you and become part of you over time. And so he's saying it's something of your will, something you must decide, and it's towards the good. And importantly, that virtue as it exists in us is not something perfect. It's a, a something you grow in. It's something that probably for your whole life, you will be perfect. Some You'll have some degree of perfection, but also a degree of imperfection, right? This is precisely the kind of thing humans are meant to grow in, and some grow in and some grow in less and don't grow. Um, I want to add one more sentence on his definition of, of virtue before we go to this his next section here. Um, he says, moreover, virtue is said to incline not only to the good, but to the doing of good, because the manner of action chiefly flows from virtue. I think this sentence is really, really important because, again, virtue does not simply describe the right kind of judgment, which, it, but it is essential to it, knowing what's good, wanting to do what's good, but it's your actual ability to do it, right? That this is why um, in these other places in the New Testament, it can be described as excellencies, right? There are things you're able to do excellently. And so I think this idea of moral excellency is a really helpful way to understand it. Yeah, and even just uh, seeing how virtue comes first in this list uh, makes sense if it is that element of life that helps make use of everything else good, right? So this is, again, from City of God, uh, where Augustine says, Now of all good, spiritual or bodily, there is none at all to compare with virtue, for virtue makes a good use both of itself and of all other goods in which lies man's happiness. And where it is absent, no matter how many good things a man has, they are not for his good and consequently should not be called good things while they belong to one who makes them useless by using them badly. The life of man then is called happy when it enjoys virtue and these other spiritual and bodily good things without which virtue is impossible. So virtue is, is it's at the core of the whole of life uh, because it is that uh, moral excellence that allows you to make use of anything else good that God gives, anything else that might lead to happiness. I mean, it really can only do so through virtue. That's right. And so William Ames moves his discussion onto this idea of what is the source of virtue? What is the standard by which we should use uh, to understand virtue? And so we'll just look at a few sections of this. Um, we are we will be getting very close to a kind of hot debate today, which is how much we can like Aristotle or not, though not uh, addressing it in the direct way. Um, and the first time we recorded this, we actually realized we think one of the verses sort of addresses that. But we'll get to there when we uh, when we get to it. So but William Ames says uh, when he's describing um, the, the ultimate kind of standard and source of virtue. He says, therefore, there can be no other discipline of virtue than divinity, which delivers the whole revealed will of God for directing our reason, will, and life. So when he says divinity, he means Christian theology, right? So 
he says, the revealed will of God, the subject, the study of God is the chief discipline you need for virtue. Yeah. And that makes sense with this idea that we are reflecting in a sense, the glory of God. We're growing in virtue um, as it is his virtue, right? We, we share in this. So this was back in verse four in second Peter one, by which it says he has granted to us his precious and very great promise so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So, so we are made takers of the divine nature by our union with Christ um, through faith. And this is then uh, how it is that we can actually grow in virtue. It comes from him. It comes from meditating upon and growing in uh, Christ's likeness. Obviously, if God, virtue is rooted in God and who he is, then of course the study of theology is the centerpiece to virtue. And so uh, since um, virtue is something we must act on, right? There's, we can't have virtue without action. He kind of then goes on to describe the rule for doing good is the revealed will of God. So also it is the rule of virtue, which only has the force of a certain rule in those things which pertain to directing life. And so, uh, this is where we get to this important, uh, question of what tells us what the virtuous action looks like. What defines those things? And he is saying it's the revealed will of God. And I think we can say that the revealed will of God comes in, of course, special and general revelation. Though Bavink, interestingly, one of our more scholastic Reformed friends says, we shouldn't actually try and um, take all the ethic, the classical ethics and make them part of virtue. We should say the virtuous life is most summarized in the Ten Commandments. Now, that's what's interesting is William Ames is taking the actually kind of more scholastic view of this idea of the whole revealed will of God, whereas Bavink is taking what's kind of now viewed as a more narrow uh, Protestant view, and that's typically not his thing. But, but again, regardless, the answer is it comes to the will. It's, it's about your ability to direct your life according to the will of God. Hmm. And I would say, no matter what, the Ten Commandments are a good place to start. Now, the final thing I want to read is before we talk a little bit about the kind of final section um, on the uh, what we'll call the classical understanding of virtue is, again, what makes this Christ specifically Christian growth? And I think we just so need to keep this in mind. He says, so we've talked about the need to grow in moral excellency. And he says, but the same habit in man, which is called virtue, as it inclines his manner to God, is also called a gift, as it is given by God and inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is called grace, as it is freely bestowed upon us by the special favor of God. And it is called a fruit in respect to the perfection it has together with the profit and sweetness, which is perceived from it. And in respect to hope that it brings eternal life, it is called a blessedness by some. Pastor Michael, why is it important for all of us as we think about virtue to keep in mind that it is a gift, that it is a grace, that it is a fruit and a, a blessedness, if we want to call it that too. And because it's of God, right? It's not, um, you don't grow in virtue by um, 
you know, I'm going to just will myself into being more virtuous. Uh, it has to come from God himself. Uh, this is, it has to come from being a partaker in the divine nature. Um, a tree, as we have in Psalm 1, right, the righteous man, um, I think you could say in a sense, the virtuous man is like a tree. A tree doesn't just say, well, I'm going to grow more today. You know, a tree only grows as it has those things which are necessary for growth, right? It has the soil, it has the water, it has the the sunlight. Um, and all of this is represented uh, is representative of the fact that we only grow as we are in the light of the glory of God, right? In that as we commune with Christ, um, that is where we find virtue. So it's important that we remember this isn't uh, this isn't something we're just you know wheeling up in ourselves. You're not pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. Uh, you are instead reflecting uh, something that is true of God already. That's right. Virtue is something. Yeah, there is there is no growth in virtue without the grace of God. There is no that it that it is something God gives is something God does. Um, now, again, it's not something we're not active in, but that doesn't mean it's not rooted. It's not that something that God must first give to us. And as we mentioned it with faith as the foundation, it's a fruit. It is a fruit of something foundationally from God. Now, the important thing. Um, in this somewhat debate, which is kind of what he spends, I'd say the last third of his section on virtue is, is he kind of enters into these various debates about what, because virtue was something so critical to the classical world, Aristotle, Plato, uh, then later Aquinas. What, what about what they said about virtue? Can we adopt? What should we think about? Um, and, and again, um, not all of it is, is, uh, germane to what we're talking about. But again, if you want to, you can go find, you can read his whole section on virtue. And I think you'll be, you'd be helped by it. But he, but the question he has is, should we think about the card, what Aristotle called the cardinal virtues as a way to describe what virtue looks like in the world? Is that a thing a Christian can and should do? Pastor Michael, what do you think about this idea of using, uh, Aristotle, who talked a ton about virtue, uh, as one of the ways we, whose language and thinking about virtue, we should adopt. Of course we can, right? Not, not that we have to, but of course we can. Um, of course it can be beneficial um, as it is governed by the scriptures. Uh, this is a way that we can look at those who have looked at the light of nature and seen something, understood something that is true and right, and we can benefit from that. Yeah. So you're not worried that this is going to uh this is going to make us like pseudo pagan, right? Not at all. Not at all. If you're governed by the word of God, I'm not I have no problem uh plundering the Egyptians and just taking what what we can from them. You know, I mean that that doesn't bother me at all. Well, if you have a problem with the use of Aristotle in Christian theology, you can Follow Pastor Michael on Twitter. Pastor Michael, why don't you give your Twitter handle just quick? You can find uh, me at Pastor M. Bowman, and I will gladly uh, ignore said interaction. Just kidding. I might. I might. It depends on how you interact. But Well, I actually think the first time we talked about this, uh, we talked about this kind of this, this discussion. And what we realized is that in Paul's command to think about 
anything virtuous. That meant that if if we stumbled upon virtue out in the world, we should consider it. We should think on it. That this is the precise kind of thing that we should be willing to think about. Um, and obviously, yes, God's character is savingly, clearly, perfectly revealed to us in the scripture, but it does exist out in the world. He has put, uh, he does speak in nature and to our consciences. Um, and in that way, I think that there actually is value in considering these ways. Um, and, and actually what I really like is I actually like how Ames handles these four uh, kinds of what he calls what Aristotle called the cardinal virtues. And he's, and what Ames says, he says, the common affections of virtue are those four which are usually called the cardinal virtues. And the reason I like the way Ames says it is he says, we see common ways virtue affects people. And he's, and he's saying, that's what the philosophers were noticing is when they started to see what would make a virtuous person, they noticed these areas that made sense. So let's walk through Ames's discussion of these um, before we uh, close out the episode, because I think, again, as our goal is to think about how we can grow in virtue, this will give us a few more tracks to run on. So the first is called justice in that general sense, whereby it sets forth an inclination to do rightly and give every man his due. It may be called the rectitude, the essential piece of virtue. So, Pastor Michael, justice, as he says, most intimately, intimately sets forth the nature of virtue. Uh, what? Why do you think, why is this, I don't know, an essential starting place for us to understand virtue? What well, shows you uh, that there's virtue, right? Like it makes virtue known. Um, it's how you interact with others, right? This is in a sense, the golden rule. It's in a sense that that element that shows your, your uh, virtue as you interact with others, giving them as they are due. Right, right. Because if, if there's a moral inclination we're supposed to have, we need a basis, right? Which is of course, justice, correct action. Now, the second condition is prudence, which is the strength of reason to discover what is right and direct all our means toward it, towards it. It is therefore the soul of discerning those things which pertain to doing right and the understanding and knowledge of wisdom required to do it. The third, uh, the third condition is then what we call fortitude, um, or we might call it endurance, something like that. It's the firm persisting in doing right, the enduring and overcoming all the difficulties which arise from the continuance of doing what is required, even in the face of impediments. And so these next two we see are really important because obviously if justice kind of sets the standard for virtue, what is right, you know, prudence means you actually have the ability to figure it out in any given circumstance, which is not always easy. The third one is, you can actually do it even in, in persistently, consistently over time, which we've said is essential to virtue. The fourth and final one is temperance. Temperance 
is whereby all those desires which divert men from it doing good are assuaged and restrained and so it makes virtue undefiled now let me read one more section here we're we're, we're sadly uh pastor michael is getting quite ill and so we hope he can make it to the end otherwise i'll uh, finish us out here he he relates these four conditions all together into one kind of virtue he says these four conditions justice as it were orders or constitutes virtue the second prudence directs it and frees it from error the third fortitude strengthens it against inconvenience and fourth temperance makes it pure and defends it against all allurements which seduce it now what's great about these four things is that we're noticing how virtue works if you're going to attain moral excellence of course you need to know what moral excellency is and you're going to need to be able to direct it there's an intellectual part of understanding what virtue is so there's a third there's the the consistent long-term ability to do it and then the final one is actually diverting yourself from your own internal temptations and so i think it is you can understand how the philosophers um as with whatever kinds of wisdom they had, we're able to notice these things. We're able to notice, oh, the, the, the difficulty it is to carry on the right thing through lots of obstacles. They realize the difficulty of figuring out what the right thing is to do. They realize the difficulty of actually just training your own desires to want to do the right thing. Now, I'm gonna close us out and we will, uh, this second attempt at our episode, which I hope has been edifying to you as much as the recording the first one was to us, um, is he talks about the growth, growth in virtue. He says that it's usually said that virtues are increased in daily use and exercise. That must be understood about solid virtues that they proceed from sanctifying grace. And it must be understood that daily exercise is a disposing cause and is it is the procuring cause of virtue, the promise of God. But it does not properly or principally produce such an increase in virtue. So he's saying, yes, a great cause of virtue is your daily exercise and use. And it is one part of the cause. But only God makes that growth possible. Only God can make true growth in virtue possible. And so I think the question for all of us is what we need to do to grow in virtue. I think the other thing I've been thinking a lot about is what does it take to have our children grow in moral excellency? And I don't have a great answer here um, that probably our last episode did. So I would love to hear from our listeners in our Patreon chat. Let's talk about what it looks like to have our kids grow in this kind of virtue. What can we do to help them think about this? Obviously, the, the probably the primary thing is we can pray. We can ask God by the spirit to work in their lives and ours. That They will see virtue in Christ and, and want to imitate it um, in the power of the Holy Spirit. But I do think there are things we can do. There, there are things we can do like not let them quit things, uh, make them work uh, through things, make them think about, try and think about what's right or wrong, um, even as we watch entertainment or something. But this has been our episode on virtue. This year, we need to supplement our faith with virtue, not virtue signaling. Hey, everybody. Thank you 
for joining us for Restless this week. We hope uh, it was a good time. We hope it was a helpful episode. Uh, for me, it was a lonely final 10 minutes of podcasting, which was pretty wild. I've never tried that before. You can let me know how I did. Um, I guess pray that Pastor Michael is feeling better this week as he is a busy pastor at a church. And we will catch you next week. And we will be probably diving back into more Mars Hill. So please rate and review this show. Tell your friends. Um, we hope this catchy title will uh, will really trick the SEO. So later, guys. <laughs>